Heads up, small business leaders, you're listening to My Quest for the Best, where published experts share relevant stories for inspiration and tools for transformation to unlock your growth potential. We release a new episode every week to help you navigate your managing and leadership challenges, so subscribe to stay up to date. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and more for your convenience. Let's dive into this week's episode. Have you ever wondered if there was some way to participate in real estate profitably without it consuming all the hours in your day, as it does for some agents and landlords? That's exactly what my next guest, Chris Prefontaine, author of Real Estate on Your Terms, explains in this interview. He shares stories of his students creating deals that are triple wins in this fascinating niche. Listen in and learn. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, it's Chris Prefontaine, author of best-selling book, Real Estate on Your Terms, and you are listening to My Quest for the Best. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Chris Prefontaine. Chris is the author of Real Estate on Your Terms, create continuous cash flow now without using your cash or credit. He's also the founder of smartrealestatecoach.com and Smart Real Estate Coach Podcast. He has over 25 years in real estate experience. He and his family live and work in Newport, Rhode Island. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. Chris, when you were growing up, did you have realtors in the family? Who inspired you to get into this field? Actually, I didn't have any real estate people in the family. My dad used to do um, land developing and flips and realtor was just part of my career. been coaching, teaching and investing on my own since about 2000. How did you get into real estate as a field? That goes back to early 90s, starting to tie up land with landowners by literally just placing a sign in their yard and then pre-selling a new construction package. Uh, we did that for many years, built hundreds of homes. Then we went off and hit the realtor side of things that you had alluded to. That was like 95 to 2000. In 2000, we sold the company to Cobalt Banker. And then that's where I started doing my own investments, coaching, teaching around the United States and in Canada. And what was that transition like? Because they are similar skill sets, yet there were a lot of things that you had to learn to become effective at that. Yeah, no, you're right. Because if you put a realtor hat on or a builder hat or just an investor, they are three different hats. <laughs> and then within each one of those, the, the different niches. It's always uh, for the small business owner, let's let's talk about that because that's what I had to do. And it's always about finding the right mentors or and or education to go ahead and get that done because success leaves clues. There's always people that have done it. So we literally at each transition reached out to people that we knew were either still getting it done or had done it and could mentor us. Who was one of your first mentors? that you reached out to help you figure out how to build this business after you sold to Coldwell Banker? Way back then would have been a gentleman by the name of Tim Wood out in Big Bear, California. And then Ron Legrand comes to mind, certainly in the investor world, as far as how we buy and sell properties right now. And what's a skill that you learned from either Tim or Ron? Not necessarily the content, but something that you worked on to make you a better business owner. There's a lot within that realm. I would say as a small business owner, the accountability piece is huge. Again, I'm being generic because this could be for literally any business. If you have some parameters in, in line with you, know what you have to do, you set some goals, you know what you have to do, but the accountability piece is huge. And I found those two to really instill that with me. But any successful business owner has that unbeknownst to a lot of people. So I'm talking about when I say accountability, like a weekly accountability partner. Okay, here's what I say I'm going to do. Did I do it? And hold each other accountable. 
That's especially important when you're operating a small business because there's often few people who hold the owner accountable. What did you find helpful in order to hold yourself accountable to getting done the things that you set out to do? In addition to knowing that I had that kind of a quote unquote meeting coming up, in my case, I still do it every Monday morning at eight o'clock for 15 minutes. But in the interim, like each week, I use what's called a daily discipline chat. It's called the power of one daily discipline. And I'll list on the left-hand side of the page, all the things that I know I'm supposed to do on a daily basis. Because years ago in a mastermind group, one of the gentlemen in our group said, look guys, this is easy to have a great year. We just need to have a great day every day. And so we set up this chat with all the necessary action items on the left and then one through 31 across the top. And you literally hold yourself accountable each day by checking a box. And I know it sounds elementary, but as a business owner, as you said, no one else is doing that. So you've got to set up these little kind of systems in between to help you stay on track. That's terrific. I'm sure that once you find something that works, you continue to employ it and you teach the other people in your business to do the same. What's been one of the challenges you've had with being able to delegate and hold people to the same standards that you hold yourself. Are you talking about my own internal team, I'm assuming, like in the business? Yeah, your team first, and then we'll talk about your students. Okay. Along the same lines, I'm not assuming that they know these small little techniques, you know, so you can get caught in the in the trap of, okay, I've been doing this for so long. And at least I do anyway, I'll, I'll assume that if I'm talking to my son, Nick, or my son-in-law, Zach, that, oh yeah, they know that already. Well, no, they don't. You got to kind of bring them just through the same process that you went through so that they can properly scale themselves into that, if that makes sense. And then how about for your students who come through your programs, wanting to learn how to have the discipline, wanting to learn how to follow through with the same level of accountability that you've had that's led to your success. Yeah, I'll use one of our students who's been with us for a while, Don. Don's out in, in Pennsylvania, and I know he comes from the engineering background, so super, super disciplined, just an entirely different field, right? Real estate's entirely different. So when we started off, it was the same exact thing. It was, okay, let's start with the baby steps. Let's start with the daily accountability, the power of one daily discipline, and then let's move that into weekly calls. We do weekly calls with all of our students, not just Don. And on those weekly calls, we're doing things like, what are your top three for the week? And then the following week, it's, did you get Get those accomplished on. And if you didn't, are we going to recommit to those? Or perhaps were they too aggressive? Should we reset those? Just constantly moving that ball forward like that. What was a breakthrough that you've had with bringing people into your coaching program in terms of being able to have the right message and put it in front of people who were ready to receive and act on it? Most importantly, act on the offer you were putting out there. The offer to, for example, potential students coming in? So it's interesting. So we make sure, and this is a little different in the industry, we make sure, Bill, that we have everybody apply our company internally and our students externally. We want to make sure everybody fits the same six values that we use in the company. And in order to do that, they apply and then they get a conversation with every single team member, which would be mostly family. And then and only then, if all the sides and all the team members and the student agree that it's a nice fit, then we move forward. Now, that answers your question because directly or indirectly, that's got to happen in order to have a great relationship over the next three years. And we're different in that respect. We want people to say, look, I'm in this for three years. This is not a push a button, make money. This is not a get rich quick. I'm committed and I'm into this. And I think any small business owner on the planet needs to approach their business like that, not I'm going to try this for three months or six months. It's I'm going to be committed and I'm going to put the blinders on for three years and I'm going to get the right help to get it done. See, I think a lot of other business owners are out there thinking about just keeping people on staff for three years and being able to keep people in a program is really remarkable for three years. So what else about that orientation or application process do you think makes you distinctive and effective? 
Two things. One is we belong to a group, and this is great for small business owners, that I felt necessary to be able to scale the company, to be able to create the right culture, and to create the right values. So again, this is internally and with students, because a lot of us, I know personally, I can kind of muscle my way through sales. I can kind of muscle my way through with certain growth. In my eyes, the dollar figure is a million dollars. A lot of people can get to a million dollars in business by kind of aggressively muscling their way through. Then once they get to that, it can be difficult and challenging to scale. So we do attach ourselves to a group called Elite. And this group of Elite is all business owners, all different businesses, none of which are in real estate. And we together learn how to scale create values, create culture, and everything around that small business mindset. You had mentioned that there were two things. Did I not pick out the two of them? I thought one of them was joining this group that helps you learn to scale and grow. No, you're right. Thank you. So on the other side of it, specifically with the students, we do set up things like contests, like a number of deals, like a neat communication on Slack. So we have kind of like the glue for the community. And then we get together twice a year in a mastermind setup uh, format. So again, I call that glue, but all those things help knit and grow that community, the closeness. That's right, because it really does consist of relationships. And that's not just going through the course materials. It's building relationships, getting to know other people, even engaging in a little friendly competition, isn't it? Well, yeah, because what you said earlier, you alluded to all small business owners kind of being on their own, right? No one really there to lean on. Well, this group allows them to do that. They're all on their own. They're all starting as a single solopreneur and they need the glue, the relationships. I need a shoulder to cry on today. I need some help today. All these things are important for small business owners and that's what every single one of our students are. What are the six values that you have a discussion when you welcome people or qualify them for your program? There are things like we're blunt and to the point, very clear communication. So for example, I even had an interview today with our new bookkeeper we're hiring part-time and I just, you know, that can offend people if you're not used to that. So we had that discussion about how open we are. That's that's one of the values. We complete all the transactions with the highest integrity is another. We empower you know, individuals and families. We constantly innovate and improve. So all these are just kind of like checkpoints to keep us on track as well as the common associates, but the students that you and I are alluding to. And don't you find that it's important to be very clear about the values because it's a polarizing instrument. If you say blunt and clear and somebody goes, got it, give it to me, you know that they're a pretty good fit versus someone who says, well, wait a second. What if you hurt someone's feelings? <laughs> yeah, no, you're dead on because look, we coach, forget internally, we're all very blunt, but we coach that way too. And I always say when I'm on the radios or the podcast, I said, look, I'm not so naive to think everyone's going to love that style. That's what we do. We put it out there and that's really for the people that can relate to that style. Some don't. So it's right around 2000 when you sold your business to Cobalt Banker. And was it then that you had the idea to transition from being a real estate agent and broker owner into being a coach to real estate agents? How did that come about? And what were your first steps? You know, it was pretty organic, meaning the first person to contact me was a gentleman by the name of Kevin. And Kevin was in the military. He was in a war college. Uh, we have a war college here on island on Newport, Rhode Island. He had connected with me in the past and knew I was in real estate and reached out and said, look, I'm getting back into civilian life. I'm going to be heading back to, let me think of where he was heading to. I think it was Ohio, back to where his family was from. And he said, I'd like to do this out there. Can I get some coaching before I leave? That was literally someone reaching out to me. And then I had a fellow speaker slash educator, John, that reached out and said, hey, could you help do some of my clients? I've got too many clients really that I can handle. Can you help coaching them? And so that just grew and that's how I get into Canada. So just, it started growing organically. And then in further on down the road, I'd be like 2013 or 14 when the family started coming on board. And then we started scaling it as a, literally as a company, no longer a solopreneur coaching some people. 
And what was one of the biggest challenges you had to overcome in order to make that transition successfully? Like anything else, it's the wearing all the hats and then slowly scaling and delegating that. So in my case, it was not just family coming on, but also utilizing virtual assistants. There are so many outsourcing companies now, and some are very, very good, where the small business owners listening now can say, hmm, I'm not ready for a full-time position. I can't afford it, or I just can't even take that on right now. But maybe I can outsource, virtual assistant, outsource a project or two, and that'll get it off my plate. And that's that was a, the first transition, really, to start scaling like that. For your own business, what were a couple questions you've learned to ask to find out that you've got a good fit with a VA? Well, actually, I look at even higher up the path, so to speak, the chain. That is a good company, preferably in the U.S., that has every skill set that you possibly could need instead of going out saying, contacting Bill to just do this skill set. Then I got to go find another person to go do writing. Then I got to find another person that can do videos on YouTube for us. I'm just giving you examples. Instead, one company, one roof where you can literally post a task and get one of their team members in all in the United States, all accessible, all within your time zones, give or take two or three hours. I can imagine that being very crucial, especially for people who are dealing with realtors who have clients who want things done right away. And it's a way of multiplying your effectiveness and your visibility when you can't be in three places at once. Yeah, I'll give you an example. We started ramping up YouTube videos, as I alluded to, and we started ramping up writing for some forums. Well, at first, we definitely didn't have the people in-house to do that. And then after outsourcing for, I think it was almost a full year, literally sometimes as many as 100 hours in one month and, and as little as 10, uh, we hired last fall a, a head of media and creative and now can crank out as possibly as many videos as we could provide. And we couldn't do that before. So it was a nice transition until such time we could afford it. So as a small business owner, there are transitions you can make so you don't have this big gap. So Chris, explain what it means to buy property on terms. What are the ranges and why is it an attractive option? Yeah, well, uh, ranges is all, there's no set range for price. So you can be as little as 50 or $100,000 up to $1.5 million. That's kind of the range I see us and our students buying in. And what terms means is this, Bill, it means buying a home on lease purchase or owner financing, to keep it simple, lease purchase or owner financing. And the advantages are numerous. We're not dealing with banks. So we as investors or our buyers who end up coming in the property are not going to get a bank loan when they start this deal under contract. That's huge. There's 80% of the market right now that can't even get qualified with a bank. 80% of the buyers can't walk in the bank and get a loan today. So that's a big dumbing block for most if they don't know how to buy on terms. And aren't there significant risks that have to be mitigated when you're not going through banks? Well, when you're not going through banks, actually the risks are minimal. I'm never going to tell you there's no risk, right? Because the contracts and the forms that we use have been gone over hundreds, if not thousands of times by both our internal team from lessons learned and from attorneys. So you are mitigating your risk in a big, big way versus going and signing personally on a loan which you're now jeopardizing you and your family's assets. That's the biggest difference with buying on terms. And you know, I learned that the hard way, 2008 debacle. I was on 20, 30 personal loans and personal guarantees and the market dropped, you know, the floor dropped. That's how and why we re-engineered our business just to buy on terms. So walk us through the process, the steps, contrasting it with the conventional way of purchasing and how you purchase property on terms as a contrast. 
Sure. So I'll use a property that we did in Auburn, Massachusetts with a gentleman by the name of Don, because Don actually met my son, Nick and I, and was leaving out of state. And this is a great example because time-wise, he wanted to leave to South Carolina. And he had called on a Friday and said, look, I met you guys a while ago, sold off all my family property, have this one house left. Can you do that thing where you come buy it and uh, you do owner financing? He said, sure. So my son and I went there literally on a Saturday. He was leaving on a Monday now, remember. You can't get a home sold with a realtor or conventionally in two days. <laughs> can't happen. So we did a simple purchase and sales agreement, which is a format we use all the time. It's really fill in the blank. And he was on the market with a realtor uh, close to 200. We put on an agreement for 183 because that's about what he would have netted in his mind after he paid a realtor and or took a little less on his price. If it had sold, it didn't. And then we structured zero money down and a $923 monthly payment against principal. Now contrast that to Don selling with a realtor, paying a realtor, waiting 45 or 60 days to get it closed, maybe have a home inspection that needles them down on price. Who knows what would have happened if he went conventionally. This way, he was able to go ahead and leave to South Carolina. We didn't have to use a bank whatsoever. He gets monthly payments. He's happy. And I haven't talked to him since, and it's been a very, very successful deal. So in essence, what happens is that they get monthly payments, paying them for the, up to the price of the home. Yeah. In that case, that was an owner financing deal. So that's exactly how we did that one. And those are great structures for properties that have no debt on them. And people say, well, there can't be many of those around. Well, yeah, there's about a third of the properties in the United States that are debt-free. They're free and clear. And by nature of that, it probably tells you that the owner doesn't need the money. They would have pulled it out of the house if they needed it. And so they're usually more open to taking a full price or full market value and taking it over time. In which case, then you're able to find someone who wants to lease the property for some amount over that 923. And then there's a little bit of margin for everyone, right? Exactly. So we put a, what we call a rent to own tenant buyer in the property. We create three paydays on every property. So in this case, we install the tenant buyer. His name was Aaron. And Aaron came in with $15,000 down payment. So that's our payday number one. He then pays us $1,500 a month. If you take the $1,500 and subtract the $923 plus insurance, you're going to have a nice spread there. We call that payday two. And then payday three is when we cash out. Keeping in mind, we sold it to him obviously higher than the $183. We sold it to him for $225. But further keep in mind, we are paying down the principal $923 a month for four some odd years, five years, whatever the term is. That's a significant profit. If you add those three profit centers up, it's over $100,000. It's close to like $133,000 on that. Again, it seems like it's very low risk and can be very lucrative. Why is it not as popular? There's a learning curve, obviously, Bill. This has been around since late 1800s. This is not a new creation. All we did is put a system around it and make it duplicatable and scalable and such that people can learn and do it on their own. But it's been around forever, people buying property like this. Why don't they? Learning curve. It's just like anything else. It's going to take time. They have to communicate with people. They have to learn the different structures that we talk about in the book, for example. And obviously, the short answer is time on that learning curve. Well, Chris, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? I am. Why not? So as you think about what you do each day, what are two or three components of your routine for daily success? Definitely with the working out and the meditation. So one of those or both of those are going on every single day or else I really get off to a rotten start. It's not the same. If you think back over the last six months, what's the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life that's brought the biggest payoff for you? That's a great question. Relationships in this business, because every time we get on the phone, like we get on a show, like you and I are talking and 
lots and lots of times that leads to revenue for two, three, four, five, ten 10 years. And so it's the forming the new relationships that don't cost anything to do and can bring lucrative profits in any business. What's something that you always think to do in order to build a strong, long-lasting business or personal relationship? Open communication, one of our values, no question. Open communication, that is usually when it's done poorly, the cause of many headaches, and when done properly, the cause of a great relationship in business. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Always seek a mentor for whatever you're doing because success leaves clues, as I said earlier, and anything you can think of, someone's done. (laughs) I promise you. So from your work with students around the country, Chris, what's one of the biggest misconceptions about buying a property on terms? I can tell you, get it all the time. Them uh, students thinking that, well, there's no way a seller would do that. I get that question all the time. I can't see a seller doing that. No, we do five or 10 a month. There's plenty of sellers that do it. And what is it that helps you overcome that, not necessarily the argument that the seller has, but the block in the minds of the student that looks to take action? Because obviously if they have that mindset or belief, they're not going to take action. No one's going to do that, right? Right. What do you do to help them over that obstacle? Uh, Get them in front of real stories. That's the best way of doing it. Get them in front of real stories, real people doing real deals. The the success is all over the country now with us. And all they got to do is see that and go, hmm, look, I saw Steve. He's a carpenter. He can do it. I can do it. I saw Don. He's a engineer. He can do it. I can do it. I saw Bill. He's retired. And he can do it on and on like that. And then they build their confidence up. I think that for small business owners listening, there's nothing like peer pressure and seeing your peers succeed to get someone to take action and not use that as leverage to get them into action. I think that's the point you're making, Chris. Is that a great? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the they can, so I think I can. I saw they can, therefore I can. Chris, what would you say would be one change in the industry that you'd like to see that would benefit successful small business owners who'd like to buy their first property on terms? Managing expectations by far. There are just too many infomercials and garbage messages that lead students to believe this is a get rich quick. It's not. It's a get rich forever if you want to put in the time. Chris, you've been so generous in sharing so many great ideas about this little known and little practiced area of buying property on terms. And I want to thank you for talking about your journey from being an agent into a teacher, coach, mentor. Well, I appreciate it. It was easy. You run a great show and had some great questions. My pleasure. So where can we find out more about the work that you're doing and buying property on terms? Well, just I think the best would be just to go to the notes on the interview for the uh, free SREC book that you and I discussed a little bit earlier. And it's the Amazon bestseller. They don't have to jump on Amazon. And when I say free, I mean free. You're not going to put a credit card in for shipping. We're going to ship it to you at our expense just for being on Bill's show. That's really generous. I appreciate that. And, and everyone listening, just go to the interview um, page and we'll have a link and a form there to make it easy to pick up a book that Chris is offering here on smart real estate coach tools uh, techniques. Is that accurate, Chris? Is it the smart real estate coach techniques for SREC? What does SREC stand for? So it's smartrealestatecoach.com. SREC is just abbreviation. You're correct. And then I just want to thank you again for being on the show and sharing your wisdom and experience with us, Chris. My pleasure. Love to help. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. 
You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.